Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class, led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we're continuing our series on famous people in the Bible you've never heard of with the Clouds of Witnesses. Enjoy. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's get started this morning. So a couple things. First is... Next week, I'm going to start a new series on a book of the Bible, the book of John, the the Gospel of John. Um, I'm pretty excited about it because that's a book that's always been intriguing to me and a bit of a struggle to work through. I've actually never, in, in all the years of ministry that I've had, I've never actually taught a class on the book of John. So I'm I'm hoping that I'll be engaged in kind of a challenging arm wrestle with it and uh, kind of hope that we can have a, a good time as we uh, work through that. So today will be the, the last of this particular little mini series we've been doing called Famous People that, uh, that You've Never Heard Of. So as we kind of think about that today, have you noticed that it's been a tough week for people who were attempting to help their adult children sort of deal with the uh, struggles of life and things have backfired on them. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it seems like we're hearing more and more about that. Of course, there's the ongoing drama associated with more and more revelations out of this uh, higher education uh, scandal, you know, with uh, the bribery and all that. I I guess I read that there was... uh, Another uh, celebrity family or celebrity uh, set of parents who apparently they, re- they realize now that it's worse if your name comes out in the news and it's a whole lot better if you go ahead and put your name in the news <laughs> as, being, as being one who, yeah, we did it too. So it's going to be interesting to see how, what the fallout of that is as well. And then the other one that was, was quite intriguing was the mother of some students who wrote a letter to the uh, female co-ed population at Notre Dame. Did you see that one? Oh, that was very interesting too. So she was quite troubled, good Catholic mom. She was quite troubled at the dress code at Notre Dame with respect to some of what the young ladies are wearing in the form of these leggings. Do you know what those are? these leggings, okay? And apparently some of them are tighter than others, right? And so I don't know if she made a campus visit or whatever it was, but she thought that the best thing to do would be to write to the campus, I guess, newspaper or publication, an open letter to the young ladies saying that, you know, in an effort to protect the academic focus of uh, her son's, that it would be a whole lot better if they would just dress in a maybe a little bit more modest way. Well, what happened? So what happened was then that, of course, it went viral. So it's not just at Notre Dame. Now it's like everywhere in the world. But the young ladies of the day decided that the best thing to do would be to demonstrate their independence by announcing that on a certain day, that would be legging day. And so that's what happened. So it's just, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here a little bit is a sense that sometimes from a parent perspective, you're trying to do the best you can for your kid. And your intent is so 
perfect. It's so wonderful. And you think to yourself, I want to give my kid advantages that I never had. Or I, I want it not to be as hard for them as maybe it was for me. And you think, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's not. And yet, can you go overboard with it? Yeah, and I think that's kind of what we're all reacting to here a little bit nationally is that we're thinking, well, okay, there's overboard and then there's like really overboard. And, and, and yet at the same time, I think it touches a nerve for most of us because to some degree, the, the intent or the, 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 the what it was that we were trying to accomplish really was a good thing. But how do you, where do you draw that line between when enough is too much? You know, where's that line? And sometimes you don't don't know where that line is, right? Until too late or after the fact. Yeah. I think it was Saturday's Wall Street Journal. Saturday's Wall Street Journal, okay. It has a column where they explore terminology, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. And the term was snow plowing. Snow plowing. Now that's a new one. Is that the same as lawn mowing? <laughs> no, okay. It's like plowing the path. Plowing the path. So that your child doesn't have to face disappointments. Oh, okay. I see. Okay. So snow plowing would relate to people above Missouri. <laughs> and then lawn mowing would relate to people below Missouri. Okay, maybe that's what that is. I mean, again, it's the intent is to do good for your kid. But any of us that have been down that road know, from just from a parenting perspective, you just know that sometimes the intent to do good for your kid ends up harming or at least affecting them negatively later. All right? And sometimes you don't know. Okay, we have like 20 hands up here, all right? Yeah, Sharon. Back to the second generation snow plowing is the second generation of helicopter parenting. So helicopter, see, helicopter parenting, that was kind of the original thing that we all, everybody said, oh, hover, hover, rescue, rescue. Okay, that's kind of what that was. And then what happened was everybody got tired of being called a helicopter. <laughs> so we just changed the word, right? We said, oh, lawnmower, right? Yeah. Lawnmower, that mowing the lawn, mowing, making the path straight, et cetera. And so now it's snow plowing. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, Sharon. Did you have your hand up? Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Well, have you ever noticed what happens along the sides of the snow plow? I mean, it makes a clear path, but look, it buries everybody else and covers everybody else. <laughs> that's a very interesting observation. Yeah, that's right. Because when they do the snow, it's not like it just melts, you know. And if you've ever gotten, uh, like, lived in a place where the snowplow came down the street, and then you had just shoveled off your walk and all that, you know, and then here it comes, right? Then what happens? And then, of course, it melts a little and freezes a little, and you're out there chipping ice. So, yeah, I got you exactly. That's exactly a good point. Okay, other, anybody else on that? Oh, yeah. Did the mother sign her name to that? Oh, oh, you'll love this. So the mom signed her last name on it. So I'll bet you her son is one of the most popular guys at Notre Dame now. Yeah. And again, you know, we look at it after the fact and we go, oh, God, mom, how could you do that? Well, she thought she was doing good for her kid, you know, 
Yeah. So he, I don't know if he's an introvert, he's hiding. If he's an extrovert, he's loving the attention. I don't know which one it is. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy. Uh, that brings to mind is it Mark Twain, the road to you know where is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of is, you know, kind of is. Sometimes you don't know if you did the right thing or not until way after the fact. And then somebody's going to tell you if it was the right thing or not. Yeah. You had to know, I mean, the cheating and the pain, I mean, that's over the line. You have to know whether you're, you have two cents of a brain, you know, that's wrong. Yeah, I know. I just think that there's a lot of things that we think to ourselves, okay, it's wrong, but you know what? My kid, my kid struggles, you know, again, we do that. We say, well, my kid struggles and that kind of makes it different. Or somehow the end justifies the means in some sense. So I'm not excusing it at all. But I'm just sort of suggesting that I think it's touching a a national nerve. And it's not just, oh, we're all indignant about it. I think on some level, we've all on some level have done some form of that same thing, thinking that I'm I'm creating benefit. I'm creating advantage. And, you know, it's a little bit like that old fable of the, uh, of the butterfly in the cocoon, you know. So if you, t- if, if you, if you, if there's a, the, what's that, the pupa in there? I'm drawing on my eighth grade science here. And, and so that thing has to struggle to get out of the cocoon, right? Well, what happens if somebody comes along and says, I want to make it easier for that butterfly to get out of the cocoon so he can get out of there real fast. And he climbs out. Well, what happens? He falls to the ground because what? Because his wings muscles are not strong enough to support the weight of the wings. He's not going to fly. And I think there's some wisdom to that, okay? It's just a little bit of how do I, how do I support this person and, and nurture this person at the same time that I don't take away the very thing that's going to give them a sense of endurance and perseverance. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is endurance and perseverance. Where does that come from? How do you model it as an adult? And particularly if you have adult children or you have emerging adult children, you know, how do you model that? How do you teach that? How do you keep from uh, taking that away in the effort to do a good thing? See, how do you do that? And uh, we're going to find that in some unexpected people who have no names, Right? Okay, who have no names, and that's kind of what we're going after. So uh, where we're going to start today is with Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Because Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 kind of sets the tone for this idea of endurance and perseverance. And how, how is it that we as Christians, what is it that we as Christians, in, in a kind of general way, whether you have adult children or not, how, how do we model that for society? Because one of the things that uh, is becoming more and more evident to the people who study such things is that there is a concern that the level of perseverance, the level of endurance, the level of what they call grit has dropped in our society today, particularly among young people. On Friday evening, I was over at Bethel. Lutheran down in Dallas. I know I've told you this before, is that I'm part of a team in the Texas district 
that does accreditation work with the early childhood centers in our district. And a number of the early childhood centers that we have, LAMS would be an example of that here, have a, a quite a majority of non-Lutheran folks who are involved in the teaching and the educating of the little bitty kids. And so part of the accreditation deal is to, uh, is to go in and sort of um, uh, acquaint them with why Lutherans are the way they are and what is it that we do. So anyway, that's, so that's the part that I do. It's a little about a, a two or three hour uh, sort of gig that I do. And anyway, while I was there, Bill Hintz, who is the director of the Texas District um, Education Ministry, he kind of governs all, all, not governs, but sort of oversees all the ministries. He was mentioning that. He said that at the, uh, now at the uh, early childhood level, there's a great emphasis or greater emphasis on the idea of how do we coach and how do we model and how do we teach grit. In other words, it's this idea of, of modeling for children and then giving them opportunity to learn how you stick to it. And even when things get tough, even when you don't feel like doing it, even when maybe it feels like that uh, everything's crashing in on you, how do you pick yourself up and keep going? And maybe that's a product, the concern about that, maybe that's a product of too much snow plowing or helicoptering or a lawn mowing. Maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe there's some DNA thing going on too. Don't know. But they're being attentive to it now and in an intentional way trying to teach that. So it's worth it for us to kind of talk about it at our level as well. Okay, so let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, whenever there is a sentence that starts with the word therefore, what do you need to know? What came before, all right? So if you look at Hebrews 11, what you see in all of Hebrews 11 is this recounting of the great stories of faith out of the Old Testament, all right? So you have Moses and Abraham and Noah, and you have all these, all these great stories of the way in which people persevered, people of faith were dealt a, a difficult hand. They were dealt a difficult hand in life. The situation that they found themselves in was challenging, and God called them in that situation to be His, and to lead and to guide and do all those things. And so what the writer here is saying to us is, is that based on chapter 11, that, the, that is then the evidence of the great cloud of witnesses that we have access to. See, it's not just enough that we know the stories of faith, but it's also that we see that as something that their strength is something that we can draw on in our lives as well. And I don't know if you, how many of you grew up with hearing all the stories? 
Okay, a lot of us did, right? Remember the little visits with God or some of those uh, books that we all grew up with? I grew up thinking Adam and Eve looked just like the people in that book, you know? I mean, that's, how, that's, that's what you always think, right? But it's these great stories of faith that then are designed to be a witness to us so that we can, from that, gain strength and also persevere. Well, so what he says is, since you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, what do you do with it? You throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, what would be included in that? I'll just Everything, so everything. Everything. Okay, that's very nice and vague. Thank you. <laughs> what would be one thing that would be, what would an example be of something that would, let's see, how do you say it again? Hinders your faith. And sin that so easily entangles. But in TV people. and the newspaper. Pardon? TV and the newspaper. Well, that would be the source of it. That would be where it comes from in the sense of that. But think about yourself, for example. What entangles you? What do you find that hinders your faith? Hinder is kind of the, something that holds you back. Entangles is something that you get stuck in. Yeah, Phil? Doubt that some of the miracles may have even occurred. Oh, there's a good one right there. No, that's a terrible one there right there, right? Yeah. No, but that's very common today. And people that look at the stories in the Bible and they try to do it from a rationalistic perspective, right? And say, oh, that couldn't have happened. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I struggle with uh, yeah. from time to time. Like, I mean, like, I, it, I just find it as a healthy ex- exercise for myself just to see how it, how these miracles may have occurred. Yeah. You know, and, how it may have physically even been possible, and that just further fascinates me and exposes the miracle of God. It can, but if you take it a little bit too far, what can happen is you go, I don't know that it really happened. You know, that doubt, it moves from doubt to kind of a skeptical whatever. Yeah, it certainly can that be that way for some people. All right, so doubt, yeah, Richard? Selfishness. Selfishness. What's good for me? Oh, yeah. If it's good for me, right, then it's good for me, right? I don't much care about you, right? Okay, so that would be one. Have you ever noticed how, Ian, it gets a little bit into what we talked about just briefly earlier. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to justify something that you already knew was wrong? But you make the case in your head that maybe it's not as wrong as it would be if you went further, right? And so it's that capacity to justify ourselves often is one of those things also that hinders as well as entangles, all right? The, The bottom line is, is that what those kinds of things do is they begin to erode or in fact break the confidence that we would have in God's promises. And particularly the promise where God says, you are mine, you are my beloved. And, and you think in terms of of what Satan would do with that is what his goal would be to get us to not believe that, right? To really think to ourselves that somehow, you know, God, yeah, he, he may say that he loves you, but if he loves you, then how in the world could it be that all these bad things happen to you in life? How is it that you could struggle? How is it that you could have challenges? If God really loved you, he would make sure that you were never deprived of anything. 
And that's the way Satan works. And that becomes a confidence breaker, if you will, in terms of, uh, in terms of our faith life. So what he says is, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What is suggested with the word run? Moving. Yes. Notice he does not say, let us sit and ponder. <laughs> let us think to ourselves, we should try. Have you ever, have you ever had people say to you, oh, I'll try. You ever had that? Or you said that maybe I'll try. Okay. Think about it from this point of view. How much would qualify for trying? If somebody says, if you say, um, let's see, um, okay, I really want you to work this week on telling the truth. And then they say, okay, I'll try. Okay, how much truth telling do you actually have to do in order to qualify to be trying? None. Why none? Why none? Yeah, because you didn't commit to doing it. You just committed to trying to do it, right? Yeah. You see the difference? Yeah. Dan. <laughs> you think of a quote by a great philosopher, Yoda. Yoda? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from Star Wars. Who <laughs> says there is do or not do, but there is no try. There is no try. That's right. Yeah. Because, see, I can do nothing and still say with all truthfulness, well, I did try, right? Yeah. So he doesn't say try. He says, let us run. So that involves there's movement toward, right? That there's, there's something that we're, that the person is moving toward and certainly could be moving away from, but he says here, let us run with perseverance. Now, perseverance again, is this idea that I'm going to stick to it. So how many runners do we have here in the group? Oh, that is so sad. Are you kidding me? I, for the sake of the podcast, I'm tempted to sort of fudge the numbers here on this one. Oh, so many of you are runners. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Do what? Oh, okay. How many fast walkers do we have? Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. For the sake of the podcast, I don't have to fudge that number. That was... That was 80% of us in here, including myself, all right? Now, I don't know, how do you define fast? I don't know, you know, I, I, my idea of fast and some other people in my life's idea of fast is maybe a little different. Yes, okay. Yeah, I know, we try, we try, yes. All right, but it's sort of that idea, if you think about it from this perspective. Some people, when they run, they think of a sprint, other people, when they run, they think of a marathon. I had a conversation with a, a couple pastors oh, a month ago or so, talking about it from that point of view, right? Some people, it seems to me, are wired to be sprinters. They're also kind of gifted physically to do that as well. The body's a little bit different in terms of the way they're built, but they just think in terms of getting there quickly, right? So do sprinters make good marathoners? Why? Why not? So there's some endurance or certainly some training, right? We have several uh, folks not in this class. <laughs> they're, they're maybe in a different Sunday school class. I think the Mosaics is probably where they are, um, who actually run these longer races. They run, uh, run marathons, right? And you think in terms of how far is a marathon? 20, 
26. Yeah, you can tell I don't know anything about it, right? Okay. And they always talk about this. It's at about mile 14, mile 14, that these thoughts come in that start to say, why the heck am I doing this? (laughs) Right? And that's the moment of either keep going or quit. Now, to some degree, They've trained themselves to prepare for that, right? There's a training. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says, oh, I think I'm going to go run the marathon. You know, you'll die if you do that. So there's that, that training idea of it, right? Right? And they worked up to it. It isn't like they just started out running a marathon. So there is some sense of that, uh, that we get that here. Because he's saying that with perseverance means that you don't give up. You might slow down. Right. But the but the the idea of it is to get through it to the other side to even overcome whatever that natural inclination is to quit or to stop. Right. So let me just put this question in front of you. What do you feel is the level of perseverance in people today? And just in a general way, what's a good way to model grit? What's a good way to model perseverance? Have you ever thought about it from that perspective? What do you think the level is today? Very low. What would you base that on? Um, so many divorces. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. So divorce, the divorce rate. Now that divorce rate has been around for quite some time, 50%, even in Christian community, 50%. But I hadn't thought about it from that point of view. Most of the time with us that have been married for a long time, yes. it's... You know, we've had the same struggles as the people that quit and got a divorce. Okay. But it's perseverance on both sides Mm -hmm. that got us to over 55 years. So y'all were married, y'all have been married for 55 years. So who had to have the more perseverance? Now, where is Ron that we could check that out? He'd say the same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he would. Yeah. And if he's really smart, he'll keep saying it out loud. Yeah, that's for sure. But there is something to be said for that, is there not? Now, and again, it's not to say that every divorce is the result of a lack of that. We're not, we're not saying that at all. But there is something to be said for the idea that when you go into something and your mindset is, is that... I'm going to see it through. If there is a mutual sense of that, and I think that's sometimes what's lacking, there isn't a mutual sense of that, there maybe one person has it, then, okay, then we're in this for life. Okay? Yeah. This generation is more a throwaway generation. If something's broken, they just throw it away. Oh, that's an interesting point, too. The idea that many times people today take the view that if something doesn't work anymore, you pitch it. And I guess if, you know, if that extends out to these marathon kinds of things that we're talking about, well then, okay, I'll just trade in the old one and get something new. Yeah, my coffee maker went out the other day, (laughs) but I waited until it was broken. And the only way that I could discover that it was broken consistently was that I kept putting the thing under the deal and turning it on thinking that it would be different if it just happened. But, you know, that's the definition of insanity is that you keep doing the same thing over and over again, hoping that you'll get a different result. And I didn't. So I thought, but even then, 
for myself as the child of parents of the depression, what was my thought process there before I finally pitched it and said, we got to go get a new one. Okay. What was my thought process? There's got it. I feel, I feel guilty for, for, for getting rid of this thing that, you know, maybe one advantage of it that you could use it for now is that when you run the water through it, it distills the water. It just doesn't heat it up. That's the problem, okay? So I was thinking that maybe there's a way for me to repurpose it so that I don't have to throw it away because I'm opposed to that idea, you know, that, well, if it's just broken, just go get yourself a new one. It was really weird. It was like this moment, but we threw it away. And and uh, what, Carol? You're dying over there. Is there? Yeah, okay. Yes, hand. Yes. You don't understand what distillation is. <laughs> well, so... There, I'm revealing my inadequacies in science here and feel immediately inadequate at this moment. Yeah. Now, I didn't drink it. Okay. I didn't drink it. But I was trying to think, well, maybe I could use it to water my plants or something like that. But anyway, <laughs> it's all gone now and it's no more. And we'll go and get ourselves a new Keurig. Yeah. Well, I think when you talk about how people are today about level of perseverance, I think it's gotten so low because so many people have shifted to a level of entitlement that it should be given to them and they shouldn't have to earn it. Okay. That's interesting. So if I have many things that are given to me or the path is made easier for me to obtain it, then maybe I won't appreciate it, work for it, put that sort of effort into that. And I'm seeing lots of heads go like this, especially the educators in our, uh, in our midst. Okay, yes. I feel there's a lack of trust. And uh, because of that, there is a lack of faith. Like when you have a dog who uh, you're going to throw a ball, he trusts that um, he knows what direction it's going to go. And he just starts running even before you release that ball. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't have our eyes um, so oftentimes fixed on God. We have our eyes fixed on our circumstances and the world. That is a perfect way for me to get into the rest of the lesson for today. That is so perfect. All right. So let's, let's keep going here. All right. So what does he say? He says, run with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. How many of you have a race marked out for you? Every one of you better be raising your hand right now. Okay. Yes. We all have this race marked out for us. Okay. Now, do you know where the markers are? Now, see, that's the struggle, isn't it? Is that sometimes we kind of wish that God would sort of put the markers like these little patio lights. I wish he would do that. Or like the runway that has the arrow on which way you go. I wish he would do it that way. And for some people, maybe he does. Or at least for some moments in life, maybe he does. He does, but you want to see them. Sometimes, I don't know, for me, it's always been I had to trip over his will to figure out that's what it was, okay? But again, that's just kind of how he rolls for different people. But the trust is, and this is where this gets at it, the trust is, is that it's there. And that he's the one who says, hey, 
wherever you go, you're on that path that I'm with you on. So sometimes I know what that path is. Sometimes I don't. Now, from a salvation perspective, do we know the path? Yeah, the path is through faith in Jesus. That's the salvation part. But it's all the other stuff in terms of how, what am I going to do in my life? And how do I know that what I'm doing is God's will? And what if it's not God's will? And what if it, I was God's will and then I turned left and I didn't know it? All right. See, that's the tough part. Where trust comes in, in particular, Romans 8:28. What does that say? It's not in here, so you have to go off a of memory. For we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Well, now, who, who of us fits that? You better raise your hand. Everybody does, right? So, see, we don't have to worry about that part, that the path of life is what God has in store for you, and that includes what you are doing in your life now, what's called your vocations. So, vocations are not vacations. little typo there. <laughs> Vocations are whatever the role is that you are presently doing. So if you are a, a spouse of somebody, if you are a parent of somebody, if you're a child of somebody, if you work in whatever it is that you work at, see, it's this idea that whatever it is that you're doing, that's your vocation. And that God is a part of that. And he walks with you every day in that. So then he says, let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So if you are a runner, let's say you're a sprinter, what are you looking at when you run? The finish line. The finish line. Why aren't you looking at your feet to make sure that they are going in the right way? Because if you look at your feet, you're going to do what? You're going to veer off the path. How many of you realize this? My chiropractor told me this, is that most of us have one leg longer than the other. Did you know that? Yeah. So if you don't have a point at which you're aiming for and you just trust what, where your legs take you, where will your legs take you if you have one leg shorter or longer than the other? In circles. Now you'll get your steps in, that's for sure. <laughs> but you won't get anywhere. All right. So he says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. So what he's talking about there is that there's, there's an intention of focus. See, what is it that I'm looking at when I'm running? I'm not looking at, oh, that's a nice building. Oh, look at that guy behind me I, or that guy way in front of me. I'm not looking at that. The focus is on the end point, and that's Jesus himself. So he talks about Jesus then as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then he describes how it was that Jesus was able to endure that which he endured. What does he say? For the joy set before him, he did what? Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, how in the world could he go through all he went through with joy? How do you do that? He looked at the end result, and that was that he knew what? He would rise again, and that he would be glorified in heaven, which we know that's kind of going to be our path as well, right? What's the difference between happiness and joy? 
People today talk a lot about happiness. And happiness is one of the goals that people have today. Now, maybe it has all of time, but we hear a lot about that today. People say, well, you know, I'm just not happy. Like, happiness is a feeling. Happiness is a feeling, okay? Right? Like, joy is like something that's like, like not really a feeling. It's, Maybe joy is a little bit more enduring, okay? From a biblical perspective, joy comes as a result of the relationship of faith that you have with Jesus. That's where it comes from. Happiness is a human phenomenon. And some days you are and some days you aren't, right? But joy, see, joy through Jesus doesn't come and go. Now, you may you may sense a, a, at times a more joyful sense of happiness or an uh, upper level joy, maybe a lower level joy. I think sometimes what happens is that when we struggle and happiness is at a low level, we assume, therefore, that somehow that means that our joy has subsided as well. The feeling of it might, but the reality of it is still there. As long as you hold tight to this idea of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you know, and the promises that he gives, the joy is there even if the happiness comes and goes. Does that make sense? So he says, that's how Jesus was able to do that. And if Jesus is able to do it that way, see, that's what carries us through then those difficult moments when we may have to go through some form of the same thing that Jesus did. Some form of resistance from people, some form of persecution from people, some form of rejection from people. We get to experience the same thing that, uh, that he did. So the idea is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, we remember that wonderful story of Peter walking on the water. Remember that story? I just referenced a little bit of it here in Matthew 14 where, you know, they're on the water and they're rowing all night and it's getting really hard and the wind's against them. And uh, Jesus isn't with them, but he said, I'll join you later because he had been up in the mountain praying. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes out to them walking on the water. And so then what happens? Peter sees that it's Jesus. Everybody else goes, oh, it's a ghost. And so then Peter sees that it's Jesus. And that's where this picks up. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. So then Jesus said, well, come. So Peter got down out of the boat, he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. And everything was perfect until that moment. And then what happened? When he saw the wind, in other words, as long as he fixed his eyes on Jesus, he was able to do the impossible. Because people do not walk on water. Well, I did at my niece's wedding in Minneapolis about four weeks ago. That was frozen water. <laughs> Which is a bit unnerving, you know, you're out on this lake and it's ice. And, you know, you start thinking about what's underneath there. <laughs> Boy, that is deadly, you know. You, the doubts, the doubts started kicking in for me. That was bad. All right. So anyway, he begin, he, when he sees the wind and he became afraid and beginning to sink, then what did he do? He fixed his eyes back on Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what he did. And sometimes that's the way we model endurance, is that we keep our eyes on Jesus, and then all of a sudden we start looking around, and we take our eyes off Jesus, and then we go, ah, panic, and we put our eyes back on Jesus. That's how you do it. 
Because see, that's, that's the human experience. The human experience is not that we are these perfect, sainted, stained glass people who always keep our eyes on Jesus. Oh, I'm always thinking of Jesus. I'm always only doing and thinking nothing of what's going on around me. That is not real. If you want to be real, it's on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. And yet at the same time, eventually it's on. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. And sometimes we have to remind each other to do, the, do, to do that, do we not? A ministry of encouragement is exactly that. Is when each of us is down and Lord knows life has enough that throws at us, not even thinking of the stuff we throw at ourselves, right? That causes us to get to that place where we think, I don't think I can believe in anything. I don't think God really does love me. I don't think he really is there for me. And that's when we hear it and do what? Respond with that encouragement. Hang in there. Keep trusting. It's going to work out. God is with you. He promises it. Have you ever said those things to people and then you yourself doubt it? Yes. Yes. That's the human reality of it, right? So that's the part of it where, again, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus as well. Okay, next page. So what's the goal? The goal of endurance, the goal of grit, the goal of fixing your eyes on Jesus is that you continue the race so that what? You will not grow weary and lose heart. Have you ever noticed that temptation is the strongest when you are weary? Have you ever noticed that... When you are tired, it's really not hard to be nice to people. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Okay. Just thought I'd mention that to you. Okay. So he says, you will not grow weary and lose heart. So this is kind of interesting. Losing heart in the Greek can also be translated giving in to the evil one. And so you think in terms of what the evil one's strategy is, is to do what? is to get me to doubt or flat out give up on the promises of God, particularly that promise where he says, you are my beloved. So remember, beloved, belovedness is always tied to faith, hope, and love. And that faith, hope, and love are not feelings. See, I think that's a lot of the mistake that people today make in terms of understanding this. They think in terms of faith as a feeling, hope as a feeling, love as a feeling. Now, are there feelings associated with that? Oh, yeah, sure, of course. But what if you don't, you wake up one morning and you don't feel it? Did you lose it? No, see, faith, hope, and love is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives to us by, by, through the working of the Word. And, and as that word is working in us and the relationship is there with Jesus, what we realize then is that faith is something he creates in me. Hope is something that he gives me and love is something that he works in me. Does that make sense? And I think to some degree, part of the difficulty for a lot of people today is they don't, that they don't have that spiritual core is that they're looking at faith, hope, and love and thinking that society or the acquisition of things or having enough popularity through social media, that's what will elevate my faith, hope, and love. And they take Jesus out of the picture as the source of it as well as the sustainer of it. Okay? So something to think about there. So 
what are some unexpected witnesses, if you will, think of the the cloud of witnesses, some unexpected witnesses of hope. Well, I was uh, looking through the Old Testament, found this reference. 1 Kings 17, 7 to 24. Do you know this story? The widow? Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, and said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home. And make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, let's stop there. God told the prophet that he had directed a widow there to supply him with food. Apparently, he didn't tell the widow. (laughs) Right? I mean, because we sort of get that sense here that she had already resigned herself to her fate. Right? So what would we say about her level of faith, hope, and love at that point? Very low. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was all gone. I'd just say, you know, it was very low. I mean, she was looking at the reality of her situation. The, the, the amount of resource that she had and knowing what it would take to sustain herself and her son, she said, one plus one is not equaling two here. I, I'm a realist, and I can see how it is, and it is what it is. Okay? Let's see what happens. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Well, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah." Well, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, O man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? What's the level of the faith, hope, and love at this point? Way low. Now, had it gone up a little bit, do you think? A little notch up? What would, have give, you, what would give you that sense that it had gone up a little bit? Yeah, because every time she would go to, uh, you know, get some more flour and get some more oil, that was, there it was. So, so faith, hope, and love probably would have gone up on her part. Now it crashes. So Elijah said, give me your son. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? 
He stretched himself then out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. What's the level now of her sense of faith, hope and love? See, so sometimes it works that way in life, doesn't it? That, that sense of confidence that we have in God's promises sometimes goes up and down depending on what the circumstance is. And very often it's involved in some sort of test that comes our way in a way that was not invited, right? This lady didn't do anything to invite those tests, but those tests nonetheless came upon her. All right, let's look at Luke 21, another nameless widow who has much to teach us. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. What sort of indication do we get here of spiritual endurance on the part of this woman? Out of her poverty, she gave, right? Now you think about it just from that perspective briefly. How do you think she might have felt that morning as she was preparing to go to the temple of which part of her visit to the temple she knew would have included making that offering? How do you think she would have felt? Pardon? High trust in the Lord. High trust in the Lord. That's not so much of a feeling. That's more of a commitment. So we'll stick with that. But what about the feeling part? As she looked at her poverty, as she looked at her resource amount compared to what her life would have required in terms of being able to live. Probably a little scared. Probably, Probably a little scared. Where's the next dollar? Where is it going to come from? And how am I going to feed my family? And the rent is due next week. And but what am I going to do? I haven't done my taxes yet. I mean, there would be all those things that would kick in. And so one of the takeaways of this story for me is she did not allow her feelings to dictate her actions. And I think, again, that's lacking in a lot of people today. A lot of people today say, well, if I feel like doing it, I'll be there. If I feel like doing it, I'll be there. If nothing better comes along, I'll be there, right? But if I don't feel like doing it, or if something better or what seems to be better comes along, right? Then all of a sudden we cave in to the trust action and we move into being governed by what we feel, or even worse, Steve, you're kind of alluding to what we're afraid of in that moment. She was not going to let her life be governed by fear. And so Jesus commends that and picks up on that by indicating that she gave out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. Hmm. Wow. Okay, last one. Luke 18. 
Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and what? There you go. There's the point. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God or cared what people thought. Gee, I wonder if that goes on today, huh? (laughs) There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. What's his motive? Get her off his case, right? (laughs) And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So God's kind of that way too. He wants us to get off his case, right? Okay. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What's the point? Keep praying. Keep praying. And don't let your idea of how soon it ought to happen govern whether you're going to keep praying or not. Because the Lord thinks of these things in a way different sense of time than we do. And sometimes time is more about timing than it is about time. And very often God has lots of moving parts to move around that's way beyond our vision and what we see happening. And we only think, oh, I've got this need right now and it needs to be handled right now. And I've already thought this through God, by the way, and here's the best way to do it. (laughs) In that little finite way that I can do it. Yes, my omniscience is this much. So that's the beauty of it. When you pray without giving up, when you encourage without giving up, When you realize that life goes up and down and so does our mood and so does our happiness and so does our confidence. And when we're encouraging each other without giving up, that's how we model endurance. That's how we witness it. And that's how we become like all those people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. Because they were just the same as us. They just didn't give up. And that's how you do it for the generation yet to come. Good? Good. Okay, next week we we, uh, get into the Gospel of John. So if you want to, you might read the entire book of John next week and and see if there's any insight there that you might want to learn about. All right, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way in which nameless people, or at least less than famous people, have so much to teach us in the Word. And Lord, we're reminded that we have much to teach each other. And in many sense, we are those people. Watch over us, dear Lord. We live in a world that uh, is very confused about what's real and what just simply feels real. We know based on your love for us, the fact that you sent your son to be our savior, to rise again. We know that uh, we have that race marked out for us and that you walk with us every single day. So watch over us, dear Lord, this week. Be with us. Be with those who are listening to the podcast. Be with them. And uh, we pray for uh, good things ahead as we look forward to that day when we spend eternity with you. But until then, dear Lord, watch over us until we're together again. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.